Welcome, everybody, to the TKW Podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo, and joining me today is Kyle Maggio. What's going on, buddy? And Brian Giberman. What's up, man? All right, so we got a lot of a lot of places we can go with this right now. We got uh, we got some, we got a lot of good. We got a lot of bad. Where do, where do you guys want to start after this loss to the uh, to the Cavs? Oh, I think you should let it rip right off the bat. All right, you want me to? I, I'm I am just I am just incredibly frustrated with Emmanuel Moutier getting these opportunities in there. Like ever from all right. I'm not upset that we lost because obviously a loss against the Cavs is going to be very good for us in the, in the long run. But I'm upset that the way that the loss goes down is that Emmanuel Moutier misses. You know, first of all, can't when there's 20 seconds left in the game, he tries to go for the foul immediately, and he does get fouled from behind by Delhi. But you know, the refs were very uh, were being very interesting tonight as well. We'll leave it like that. And obviously, he didn't get that call. And it just led into it was just a downfall from there, and it ended up with him literally throwing away the Knicks' last chance directly into the arms of Larry Nance. A lot of that's on Cantor to not you know for not going up and getting that ball as well. But oh man, I just it was just such a clusterfuck in the last like forty five seconds. I don't know. I like Knox slammed it down, and everything was hyped, and then it just came crashing down. Is that just the identity of this Knicks team? Uh. I, I'm not really, I'm not really that fired up. I don't know, man. I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm all good. I'm all good about the, uh, you know, about the loss. I'm, I'm more upset that Kevin Knox builds a ton of momentum for this team. You know, gets that. You know, Moody heads in the pass, and then he slams it down the other end. And it was, you know, he had a, a good-looking fourth quarter. He had a pretty, pretty steady game. I wouldn't say he exploded at any point throughout the game, but he had, he looked pretty steady all game. We had a great Frank Dillakina game again, again for like the third quarter and most, and you know, the beginning of the fourth, and then, uh, and then it just it it's just the way it all came crumbling down. It's just the way that I had, I had to look at Emmanuel Mudiay throw the ball directly into the arms of Larry Nance Jr. I don't mind losing, I just don't want to lose like that. Kyle, I'm pretty chill about what happened. What about you? I, I'm all right with it, and even in the inbound is frustrating. It's frustrating to look at. Um, I'll give you that much, but I also feel bad because <laughs> nobody got open. Um, you know, outside of that last little burst from Tim Hardaway Jr., and then for like the last second, everyone just kind of stood there. I, I mean, nobody got open. He he had to throw the ball somewhere. Um, my only gripe would have been, you know, he he could have overthrown it instead of underthrowing wherever he was going. But uh, it, it was a tough. Tough situation for nobody to to break free. Um, I, I mean, it just wasn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not. I don't feel great about it. I, as we've talked about a few times, I'm rooting for wins here, so you don't love to see that. Uh, the execution on an inbounds. I, I I understand sometimes it happens, but I always feel like it's inexcusable. One person couldn't shake free, but um, 
Yeah, my my uh, frustrations, at least for that inbounds, would be more on everyone else and not really on Moody. You you, you got to get the ball. I mean, you got to get open. You just you have to. He he made the right play. Cantor should have came to the ball. That was there, but Cantor instead of he sunk back instead of moving towards him when he was probably the last outlet on that play. Yeah. If the if the deep pass to back half court was taken away, like Cantor has to come up. So I can't put that on Moutier either. Um, King, all right. The there's no I haven't heard the stats since very early in the season, but there's no way the Knicks are efficient out of inbounds passes. And Clyde says that like 18 times of the game. Oh, are you saying Clyde's bringing analysis to the game? No, I'm saying Clyde's bringing wrong analysis to the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like blatantly wrong. <laughs> I'd say at best, maybe they're league average. And my eyes are lying to me, and they're not terrible at it. And I just remember a couple here and there. Maybe I'm blatantly wrong, and I'm just making crap up. And Clyde's actually right, and they're really good at it. And he's gone on Synergy and looked up the numbers. I'm going to bet I bet my money that's not actually what's happened, and he's just making things up. <laughs> I, can we stop doing that? I, I agree with you. They definitely don't look very... It, it just seems like when the game comes to a like a stall, they have a lot of trouble making that next move, or yeah, they have a lot of trouble carrying that momentum on for them. They, I, I think that they have had some trouble in the inbound this year, and I don't have the stat, I don't have the synergy stats to look at that either. But you know, you just look at these guys; they're just they're so hot and cold all the time that when the game kind of freezes up and the momentum's taken away, you know, generally we're going to be left with more poor results than good. All right, new starting lineup. Uh, people happy with it, disappointed with it. What did you guys think? I mean, I think it's uh, we had some problem. I think it's going to take some getting used to for Knox for sure. You know, he had those three early fouls and uh, had to be replaced by by uh, Mario Hazonia, which was drew the ire of all of us. I can tell you that much. Um, but it was, I, I think that once he kind of figures out figures out his spacing out there, he's going to be a much better option than Hazonia. Because he looked pretty, like, Knox has even started to look like he has an idea of where to be on defense lately. And I think that's that alone is going to be more than Hazonia is going to give you. Yeah, I thought I thought Knox looked really good out there. Um, I think some of us on Twitter before um, were a little bit worried about uh, the, the shot distribution with Knox in the starting lineup versus when he had a really green light when he was running with the kids. Um, there, you know, people were worried about Cantor, Timmy needing their shots and everything, but um, I thought he fit in mostly pretty well. Obviously, he got going there in the, uh, you know, late in the game. But um, again, I mean, the, the stats just for everyone listening, you know, he had 19 points, so in 32 minutes of action, 19 points, seven rebounds, so another good game on the boards there, one assist, and a couple of big blocks, pretty important blocks too, to be honest, and. Uh, pretty efficient, seven to fifteen shooting and three of six from deep. So I mean that's another really nice game from him. And I know um, Brian, I saw you tweet before uh, about how you know this game tonight might not have the counting stats from the last game, but how this is a more impressive game for him. Yeah, I thought he picked his spots better. Uh, the defense, the there's I need to pay attention to it more. I haven't like just sat there and zoned in and watched him play defense, but he seemed to be okay tonight and nothing horrific. Com- like the- 
couple of uh, bad pump fakes he'd been on in the first half was the big thing. They got him a couple of times in, in that uh, early barrage of threes. His, um, he had his best, maybe his best sequence of the season when he blocked the shot. Oh, yes. The Pel- the, not the Pelicans. I have that game on my TV. The Cavs <laughs> got the ball back, attempted another shot. He got the rebound and went coast to coast and finished. Mm-hmm. So that was good. He did have another play in transition where he had no idea what to do, and he just traveled because he was just going to stumble forward. He was probably closer to falling on his face than making the layup there. But I, there was definitely more good than bad, and even uh, the two free throws, I'm not really giving him much credit for. Someone dumbly fouled him on a, a floater. But there wasn't as many floaters, and he actually made an attempt to go towards the rim more, and I think that was the most important thing. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Hit. No, I was just gonna say, like, I think his confidence is just kind of booming more, and that's allowing him to get to the rim. Like, he's he's you know obviously just pulling up from three when he sees it there, and when he's driving, he just he just looks like he he looks like he feels stronger getting in there, and I think that's that's done a lot for him. Yeah, that, that's what I was gonna say. Actually, it looks like he's. I tweeted in the first half. It was one of uh one of Knox's first couple of drives, and he he like did that little outward step. When he when he got to the basket, instead of just trying to step in to the you know into the the contact a little bit to try to finish, and, and he just fades out a little bit, and he did that for the first couple of possessions, and then later in the game we saw him actually you know go harder towards it. I mean he was double clutching a little bit and still kind of fumbling the ball around, but he's actually going in a little bit more, which is encouraging because the last couple of weeks we've said on this podcast that he gets kind of a a little bit too flaily, you know, when he gets near the rim, his, his limbs just kind of go everywhere. So it was nice to see him um, kind of clean that up a little bit, have a nice little compact finish there. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, I like that aspect because we were whining about his indecision in the lane. So can I? So not oh, uh, real quick before you do that, Brian, I just wanted to drop the final score. Uh, 113 Cavaliers to 106 with the Knicks. Uh, Knox went for 19 points, like Kyle was saying, seven rebounds. Uh, Cantor led the team with 20 and 10, and Tim Hardaway Jr. also had 20 points. Uh, yeah, sorry, what, what else were you going to say about Cantor, or about Knox? I was going to ask if I could circle back to the starting lineup real quick. Oh, yeah. I think this is a similar situ- going to be a similar situation to what happened with the previous starting lineup, where it and it looks okay at the beginning, but over time it ends up not being good because the defense just – you're asking Knox to basically be an elite defender, and you're asking Vonley to be an elite defender. And even – I don't know if you have two elite defenders, if it can make up for Cantor, Moody, and Hardaway all on the court together. So, I mean, tonight you can't complain about it. Cantor was a plus 10 tied for the highest on the team, weirdly, with Hizonia, because he played at the end of the first half when the Knicks went on that run. But, um, and he, Cantor was fine tonight. He, he got, he caught a bad break on the, that foul at the end of the game. I mean, I, I know why the ref called it. His hands were forward on the, when I was Hood who went to the foul line, right? Um, I don't, I don't recall exactly off the top of my head, but yeah, still regardless. But so, I mean, but just in the end, I think it's going to come back to haunt you that these guys aren't going to be able to play good enough defense together. There's a little Moutier and Knox is going to have some pretty 
lots of shots and maybe not lots mm-hmm. on some nights that that's going to be hard to handle offensively. So I think in time you're going to want to continue to see this evolve a little bit more, and they're not where it needs to be yet. I'd like to see them try to close out with Von, uh, Von Lee at the four and Mitch at the five. I, I think that would be that was, interesting. I, I thought that was kind of a glaring thing today, too, because I, I wanted to talk along with the starting lineups about the closing lineups, and it's Vonley not being out there seemed to set a tone to me. Um, I just I I can't help but wonder if Noah Vonley was in that play, would he have been able to get open for that final play? It's just he's shown the strongest basketball IQ of anyone on this team so far this season, in my opinion at least. And I, I just I, I liked having Knox out there. I liked having Dotson out there. Like I, I kind of I liked how the lineup was going. Up until it all went south, where they had Frank at the two, and they had you know Moutier, you know, run, like running point, throwing out the passes and everything like that. But it did seem like we were missing, you know, a defensive presence. And I thought Noah Vonley could have brought that at the end. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we were talking about it the last uh, couple of days, like in the, in our Slack chat about uh, the optimal closing lineups, and I, I know Brian was talking about making sure the kids close up. But I, I just think having a very fast young um, lineup like that, and then if he, if he tossed in, like if it was if it was Frank Timmy Dotson or Frank Timmy Knox, and then Vonley Mitch, I think that's a nice a nice enough defensive lineup you can try to close out with. I think Vonley kind of fills in for a lot of Mitchell's uh, weaknesses in the defensive end, but um, you know, especially tell me about oh good. Uh, tell me about what you guys saw out of Mitch today because he. Played, he only played 16 minutes, but... He was, invi- he was invisible. Points. Yeah, he had two points and assists, a rebound, a steal, no blocks. Uh, he only had one foul, which is, I guess, encouraging. But, yeah, he, he was pretty invisible, even if he looked like... To me, he looked like to be in a little bit more of a better position. Wasn't necessarily going for every perimeter block that he could get. Uh, he adjusted a few, um, you know, a couple of shots. Yeah. He didn't do anything bad, it just wasn't... Yeah, which I wasn't don't know, overly rather... Impactful. Would you rather him see like an average, not super impactful game from Mitchell Robinson, or would you rather see him trying, you know, and making some dumb plays when he has to? I don't know. I, I guess try. I guess try I, is not really the right word. But no, like, no, yeah. but he but he gambles a lot. That's how he ends up fouling. Right, but, gambling, yeah. Um, I kind of like that gunslinger mentality because then it leads to the nights like when he has five or six or that nine black night. Yeah. So I kind of like it, but I mean, um, I don't know. Hey, I would prefer that right now. Just let him learn how to not foul when he does. I really barely even remember Robinson playing tonight. Like, I'm trying to come up with yep. something to say, but I just, I I really don't know. I would just be making it up. And Cantor, you know, Cantor held his ground enough for most of the game. And, you know, he obviously had a really efficient uh, scoring game tonight with 20 on, on uh, 12 shots. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it's hard for me to justify putting Mitch out there with the closers right now. Um, you know, just, just because he, like tonight, he didn't really give anything. Like, you kind of have to put Cantor out there, but then you run the risk of Cantor, you know, making bonehead moves, like not getting open for that ball at the very end. And um, Here's what, yeah. Why do you have to play Cantor? Like, this is what I really, like, a lot of what goes wrong for the Knicks lineup-wise is because they're trying to play two bigs to appease Cantor. He's not going to be on the team next year. He playing him, he's not really good. He 
He's not. Like, every you look at any of the numbers, he negatively impacts the team. But he played 33 minutes tonight. I know he's a plus 10 tonight. I said that before. But why Why does Cantor have to play 20 minutes? I don't understand why. Like, I watched I, – I think I brought this up last time. Kenneth Fareed had three years left on his contract, and the Nuggets just sat him and stopped playing him. I can go through teams across the league that stuff like this happens all the time. What I so I don't understand why Enos Cantor has to play so much. Like we had to, Fisdale rightfully wanted to get Luke Cornett some minutes, and it's the perfectly logical thing to do. He can make threes and he can protect the rim, and you have to play him next to Mitchell Robinson because you're forcing yourself to play Enos Cantor a certain amount of time. And that just makes, logically, it just makes absolutely no sense to play Luke Cornett and Mitchell Robinson together. It's not going to work. Cornett cannot yeah, move feel, like that. And they fill, Yeah, they fill up both of the same space out there. And then, you know, if you put Cornett out there with Robinson too much, he's just, you're just going to end up confusing Robinson, especially when he doesn't know where he's got to be half the time anyway. You know, combining that with another young player, it's just, it's just going to cause a whole bunch of messes. Um, yeah, so... I would have liked to see some more minutes of the Luke Cornett, too. Only eight for him tonight. Uh, you know, didn't really do anything. He was a minus 10, which was not the worst on the team. But, uh, yeah, it, I'd like to start seeing more combinations like that. You know, I think that Cantor is – I don't think Cantor should be playing, you know, over 30 minutes a night, and he's not a lot of nights. But, you know, there's just, there's just better things you could be trying. You could be playing Mitch for a couple more minutes. You could be playing Cornett for a couple more minutes, you know, and, and just try to keep them around the – you know, the 20 minute mark, if anything, if, they, if that's what you got to do. But um, if they were to make some changes to the starting lineup, even more moving forward, and if Cantor was to get taken out, do you, do you guys see any validity to playing Noah Vonley as your traditional center? If, if I was allowed to pull Enos Cantor from the rotation, I would play, I would start Vonley at center. Okay. So you're thinking Vonley, Knox, uh, Dotson, Hardaway, and uh, Frank. ADA? No, I would play Frank. Frank. That would be okay. that would be the five I would go with. Interesting. I, I, it sounds it sounds good to me. I worry about how much Vonley would be able to do without that other. Like I, I feel like he it looks like he relies on the other big to get him his proper spacing out there too. Which you know I think if you have him in as as your lone center, you might end up with a. Uh, you know, less of those open three-pointers that he's been canning all season. But, you know, the rebounding, I think, would would definitely uh, be able to make him hold his own at that position. And defensively, you probably only have up to go from here. So we just can't keep up giving up, like, 40 points in a quarter. It's getting, it's getting out of hand. I've noticed this team is, like, a terribly slow-starting team. Like, it, this is uh, – I noticed this when I was thinking about Timmy. Timmy just starts – it's it's like he takes forever to warm up, and then in the second half, all of a sudden, he hits five you know five of uh, his next six shots. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. I feel like maybe it's just me, but he he's only gotten no. going in the second half lately. And You're I just feel like that's right. I think that's that's kind of how it's been with a lot of players lately. I mean, that's what we've seen from Frank the last two games. That's what we've kind of seen from uh, you know Knox to a lesser extent tonight too. It's just like this team has been coming alive more in the second half, which is or the third quarter in particular, which as Knicks fans we're not really used to. But yeah, all, all of them, all of them are getting off to a little bit of a slow start to begin the games. I don't know if that has anything to do with the the lineups getting shuffled up or anything, or you know the uh, the players who are missing right now. But 
Yeah, it, it it seems to be a trend that's continued on throughout the entire team, but definitely with Hardaway. Hardaway played a team-high 43 minutes tonight. Uh, went 6 for 18, 4 for 9, but he didn't have he didn't have any three-pointers before the half, did he? I don't think so, because then he just started bombing in the second. Yeah. I think he made all, at least three. I think he, I think he hit one or two in the first half. Okay, okay. I'm not a hundred, but I'm don't. I'm not a hundred percent on that. I think he. I think it was one because then I feel like he made three of the next four he took in the second half. But um, you've been, Kyle. You've had an opinion that Hardaway has been a little bit better than people have been giving him credit for lately. Even as he started to like slow down a little bit, uh, you've been definitely uh, leading the charge on his field goal percentage. Isn't as bad as it appears, right? Yeah, like it, like it clearly could be better from two. Like that, that's what I think people don't understand. Is like I'm not, I'm not totally disagreeing, but at the same time, like we're acting like he's just inaccurate everywhere. And it's like if you're taking, like I remember this happened with I think Robert Covington a couple of years ago. Like his his field goal percentage was like stupid low. It was like in the 30s, but it was right near his three point percentage, and he was taking like 65 percent of his shots from three. And it's like. If all, if almost all of your shots are threes, or a, a decent amount of your shots, like Timmy's is fifty percent, are threes, and you're shooting, you know, league average or better, like that's okay to me that your field goal percentage is lower. Like again, obviously, you know, he would shoot a little bit better from two, but to me, it's like we're not, we're not looking at that properly, you know. Um, to me, it's almost like. Uh, what we're using batting average instead of like OPS in baseball to like measure things and just really getting stuck on the batting average. And I just think that we got to overlook that too. His free throw percentage is up too. It's not like he's like just chucking, chucking, you know, I mean, we've seen how the offense looks without him. He's the creator on this team and it gets really ugly. So I think he's doing all that he can for a role that they never thought he was going to have to do. So the, that's my only thing. So, Kyle, I was curious about what you said about the Hardaway slow start. So I went and looked it up before. I'm not sure if this is including tonight or after or uh, after, but 36 from the field, 34.7 from three in the first half, 42 from the field and 39.3 from three in the second half. So there's definitely a jump from him in the first half to the second half. See, I, I just don't know why it is. It's a, it, I, I really don't. I don't know if it's just as simple as his body doesn't really warm up. Because I'm a guy like that. When I play ball, like the first half, I don't really even feel warmed up, and then the second half is when I, I really get the juices flowing. But I don't know if it's something as simple as that or a confidence thing. But it just seems like in the second half, he's just like, ah, okay, I'm, like I'm back. I got it. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with when the you know when the whole team is gelling together too. You know, the hard, they, these guys are seem to hard uh, heat up whenever everyone else gets going. You had uh, Moody, or you had uh, you know Frank start hitting his shots in the third. You had Knox staying aggressive all game, and you know when when everyone's going to get and when everyone's kind of gelling, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna work wonders throughout the rest of the team. I think it's got that ri- ripple effect for sure. So we've seen that the last couple of games from Frank, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would just say that this team knows how to come out of the come out of the um, half pretty hot at least you mentioned frank tonight is the perfect example of why 
he just needs to play. He That's just beautiful. needs to play with uh, the ball in his hands and learn and gain experience. Just like he made some shots and he's doing a much, he's doing a nice job creating some space for his jumper and even get into the rim a little bit. But there's still he had the four turnovers and there's still those plays where you can see he's still the speed of the game is still isn't there yet for him. So just getting that all out of the way this year and letting him continue to just experiment and try things on the court. So next season, when you're hopefully winning games at a much higher rate that he's ready to go at that point, there needs to be more of him. Like what they were doing at the end of the game didn't make any sense. I get it. Like Moutier, mm. he had seven rebounds or eight assists. One, one of those, those numbers. Both, both could of be those, it. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, but it was either, it's eight with one and seven with the other. I yeah, okay, gotcha. Eight, eight, eight boards, seven assists. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Smart person having the box score open <laughs> while talking about the next game. I can't. Who would think of doing something like that? I'm not always so smart. You won, and this Fisdale, like, I'm trying hard here. And he's going defense offense, but he's subbing one of the the two best defensive players out for each other. Like he's taking out Dotson to put in Frank and leaving Moutier, Hardaway, and Knox on the court. That doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. None. And you, that's just something that a smarter coach does not do. I don't understand what's happening there. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, oh man, now we're being polite to each other. This is strange. Mm-hmm. No, drop it. <laughs> I just, I would have loved to see Frank close out. I just think that's what they did the last couple of nights, and I, you know, I thought he was right on par with the the, the exact same level of play. I, I think more than that than we've hoped to see. I mean, he's doing a hell of a job now, but I just thought they would have just let him ride it out again. I, I just. Fizz kind of strikes me as that kind of guy, like riding the hot hand, and then he's like he tries to get cute, you know? Right, and that's exactly it, where Frank clearly was a hot hand. He slowed down, you know, after the first couple of minutes of the fourth for sure. Uh, I think his last field goal came within, like, the first two minutes of the quarter, but still, it's like he's... You got to roll with the guy who's been confident. You know, it's been the hot hand for the last two games. And, you know, instead you, t- you take him out of the game, you have Moutier in there who... You know, it wasn't like he had a, a great couple of plays before those last, uh, you know, those last couple of ones. There was the, you know, the pass to Knox, but I didn't really see too much out of him other than that. And then you had Frank, who was, you know, looking good all game, looking like he had, he, you know, looking like he believed in his shot, which is something that we hadn't really seen from Frank in a while, you know, other than the last couple of games where he's just, he was just kind of putting it up tonight, and, and especially at the beginning of the game, it just wasn't falling for him. And he, but to his credit, he just kept on going with it. He even got to the rim a couple of times. You know, he was Frank looked like he felt good out there, and the fact that he wasn't out there for the you know the end of the last couple of plays was frustrating. And the fact that he kept getting taken in and out too. I mean, you just gotta let the guy roll out there. Yeah, I, I panicked when they took him out, and I got a little bit frustrated at first. I think that was around like the four and a half minute mark, and. Um, he comes back in like almost immediately. I think it was like a minute later, and then they take him right back out. And I was like, "All right, like this is well, we are we are over fucking thinking this one, man. Just just leave him in." 
It's not that complicated. That's a bit. It's just he has a tendency to overthink things like that in this situation. Which is strange to me because he strikes me as like the whatever his hunches guy. Like that. That's the kind of guy he strikes me as. Like whatever he's. Whatever's working, whatever he's feeling, like... And maybe to a fault, though. Maybe it's not always what's working. Maybe it's what he feels. He was trying to do smart coach stuff, but within trying to do smart coach stuff, he wasn't doing smart coach stuff, if that makes what did sense. They say, what did they say Jim Boyle, tell uh, Jim Boyle last week? You ain't Greg Popovich and this ain't the Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you guys, real quick, did you guys listen to the Daniel Levitar show today? I so, got through some of it. Um, did you hear the part when they talked to Stan Van, Stan Van Gundy joins them every Wednesday? Did you hear the part when they asked Stan Van Gundy oh, his thoughts on Jim Boylan? Yes, and then Scott's <laughs> finish, and they all spent the rest of the segment yelling at him and then went back. That was terrific radio. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Oh man, the part where uh, Stan's like, "Yeah, I think he he should be quiet instead of talking to the press." And then they all lost. They're just like, "They just told Stan yeah. I got these old <laughs> Jim Boylan to shut up." And then they all then they all lost. It was great. It's it's great radio. It's tremendous content. Mm-hmm. All right, but but uh, I don't know why it reminded yeah. me that all, all all this to say is that David Fisdale shouldn't be thinking that this is Spurs and that he's Greg Popovich. Just let the just let him roll. Just let just read the situation. Just kind of keep rolling with the players that you have out there, the players that have gotten you to that point. I, I just, I don't, the, all the, the extra subbing, it, it, it frustrates me. Well, bringing in Dotson for defense isn't, or Frank, or whichever one, bringing in Dotson in the game isn't necessarily a dumb thing to do, that you want two good defenders out there. Right. But don't yeah, but Frank take, was out at the yeah, end, too. Don't take out the other good that, defender. Yeah. That does, and there's, doesn't, I don't get it. And I, see, it's even more frustrating because the you know you have two guys who are going to be you know near equal value on defense out there, and you take out the one who's hot offensively for the guy who didn't really do anything the whole game. I'm trying to think too. Do you guys think that they? And this is an honest question because Moutier again has been mostly pretty good over the last since he's been back. So do you think that that's just you know trying to ride with what got you there? Like you know Moutier's kind of won the starting job. So do you think that's just Fizdale going like, look, that's the guy that we're probably going to go with. I'm just going to ride it out, see what happens, versus leaving Frank in first. I think, first of all, I don't think that Moutier has won the starting job necessarily. I think we've seen with all you the think, you think it's re- this year. You think it's reopened? I don't, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to be closed entirely. You see it with every one of the Knicks guards this year that they're going to have, they all have stretches of games where they look really good, and then they have stretches of games where they look really bad. There's going to be another stretch of games this season where Emmanuel Moutier looks really bad. He's- and, you know, I don't know if you can justify starting him then and everything. I will say that they have found you know, a niche together, and and for the most part, they look to be, you know, knowledgeable of where they all are on the court, at least, but it's just, I I, I don't know. I, I, I can't necessarily say that Moutier, like, I, I, I could easily see him getting swapped out for Frank at some point. I could see Trey Burke coming back and getting that spot back. I, I, you know, I just have no idea. See, I think the Moutier regression is already kind of hitting. It feels like it. 
If he, oh, I mean, he's good. He, he had he had a nice line that was inefficient tonight, but yeah, he had a lot of turnovers. He's too. he's good when your team is down and you need someone to like kind of bring you back. But when it comes to the big moments when you're actually there and you need someone to push you over the edge, he just doesn't have it most nights. I mean, I guess I'm kind of making crap up. He's 41, 40, 88, 88 in December. Six games. The, I don't think it's up, but his plus minus has gotten worse. So, I mean, the shooting numbers are still there right now. So that's unfair of me to to say. No, but it's been a little bit more. I think the efficiency's been there, but like we've seen more variance from his um, scoring numbers. Whereas for that, there was that couple of weeks where it was just automatic, like he was going to get you between like twelve and eighteen, and then he'd have that you know a couple of twenty point games tossed in. But now we've seen it go from like twelve down to you know three or four, then back up to eleven or twelve, and then. You know, he's been having a little, almost like Frank does that disappearing act. Like we've seen that with Moody a little bit too. But um, overall, I think he's still just maintaining mostly that level of play. Like he's been mostly consistent. So that's why I wonder if that's the Ralph Fisdale is trying to go on, right or wrong. I'm not saying it's the right move, but. The, the Knicks have also only won a single game so far in December. And that was overtime against the Bucks by two points. You know, whether or not Moutier is necessarily his shooting numbers still look efficient and everything like that, it's not like it's producing wins. And this is supposed to be the easy part of the schedule right now. I mean, we, we, we just lost against the Wizards. We lost against the Nets. You know, lost against the Hornets. Lost against the Cavs. We got to play the Hornets again on Friday. And then after the Suns, you know, you play the Hawks and it starts to get a lot more, uh, it starts to get a lot more challenging after that. So I don't, I just don't see how, you know, they're, how they're going to play any better moving forward when you know, you're already going through the lightest part of your schedule right now. And, and digging a little deeper, we weren't wrong to think the regression has started with him. Despite those good numbers that I just recited, his usage has gone up from 20 to 24 in November to December. His true shooting percentage has dropped about 3%. His effective field goal percentage has dropped 4%. So he's taking on more of the offense, and he's also getting less efficient. So we're not. It wasn't totally crazy to think that. Okay. Yeah, I, I just don't think there's any way that he um he loses the starting job. That that that's that's how I feel. I feel like at this point, once he eventually does his full on starting lineup, the everything except small forwards a lock, and that's probably going to go to Knox now. So. I I, so, I just think those are all kind of foregone conclusions. All right, so so put the starting lineup out of the question then. What about the rest of the game? Like, do you see him being able to continue playing starters minutes, or do you think at some point he's going to end up getting the Hazonia treatment like he's been getting? Or do you even think that he falls out of the closing lineup after a while too? Oh, I think Moutier is going to play for the rest of the season. Yep. That would be my guess. Unless they traded him, I think he's going to be anywhere from 18 to like, 32 minutes a game that he's going to be Burke Burke's the guy I I would bet on. If I were to bet on someone, he'd be the guy buying and either Frank or Moody. will start. They'll, they'll both have their stretches of play where they start. I, I kind of am of the opinion that Burke is going to have Burke is going to have some more hot streaks this season. And I think he's going to. I think there's going to be a couple of games where Trey Burke ends up starting at point guard again. I, I just, I just, it's so easy to see another, 
you know, another t- uh, stretch where it's going to be Moutier struggling and Burke getting hot. It's just we've seen it a couple of times this season. We've seen it, you know, we saw it last season. I just, you know, I, I just I'm waiting for that, especially with Fizdale's rotational uh, you know, decisions already kind of being in question from us. I just I just can easily see Trey Burke coming in, having another 30-point game or something, and then all of a sudden he's the starting point guard again. I'm not saying it'll be right. I just can see it happening. I don't know. I, I almost feel like they they know what he is the, the way we know what he is. That That's almost the vibe I get from them. Like, they know he should be a bench scorer. That's just the, the way, the feel to it, the way they've kind of used him. That's just, I think he's like another guy who they kind of figured the role out. Like, none of this, I, I, none of this is, is true, you know, factually. We don't know that, but I, it just really feels like that's the case to me. So let's, no, go ahead, Brian. It should be pretty obvious. Like, we've seen enough games where he kind of disappeared, too, when they asked him to be, like, the point guard or do too much. And then, I mean, we've seen his obvious scoring explosions. Nobody denies him of that. But he's, like, he's the one guy when they, they talk, uh, when you see, like, NBA Twitter try to get cute and go, oh, what if we took that scoring player in the starting lineup and made him a scoring sixth man? Like, Trey Burke's actually the guy for that kind of thing. Like, he shouldn't be a big usage guy. He just comes off the bench, do what he's got to do play against another second unit, get his buckets, and then go back to the bench. So all this is to say that basically, you know, I think ideally here we would like Frank Nielkino to be, you know, hovering around the starting lineup, even if he's not in it right away. Um, he did score the, uh, or he did play the most minutes out of the bench, out of all the players on the bench tonight. And this was only the third time in his career that he has played, that he has had double-digit scoring in back-to-back games. He did it once earlier this year with 16 points and 17 points against the Nets. Uh, Golden State and Brooklyn, yep. and then uh, and then last season for the last two games of the year he scored back to back-to-back double-digit points. What was the Cavs and the Cavs and what was the other game? Uh, last year, yeah. Was, was it Cavs Pacers? Was it? I believe you're right. No, it was uh, Cleveland. Cleveland. What? Right, they played back to back last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home and home. So, and it's funny because it was 17 points to 16 points last year, and then earlier this season it was 17 points to 16 points, and now this this time it's 18 points to 16 points. It's this little little hump that you just can't seem to get over. But I mean, something just feels a little bit different about how he's been scoring this time around and how he feels about his shot this time around. Well, he's he's too much of a thinker as a basketball player. Like, he's always... I think that's where he gets into trouble. Is It's like he knows he can do the things that need to be done, but then he's confused about which one to do because he's trying to make, like, the correct play sometimes or a safe option. Um, but he's he just looks like he's not thinking for once, especially when he's shooting. And shooting, a lot of that is actually mental. Like you can't, you can't go up going, "Oh man, I hope I don't, I hope I don't miss this next shot. I hope I don't miss this next shot." You got to go up and you be like, "No, I'm gonna fucking drill this shot." You got to step right into it, and that's the kind of attitude that I've seen him have. Together now, and the the, well, yeah, because um, to that point, we've actually seen him make a lot of dribble moves to actually create separation and get free. Mm -hmm. It's not just him hitting the threes from outside or. You know, getting to the rim a little bit. Like he's actually uh, both these these last two games, he's actually 
you know, behind his back, crossing over, step backs. Um, there was a nifty little one he did in the post where he did a little step back. And um, it's just that, to me, is the most encouraging because it's like he's actually looking to create his own offense versus just squaring up to the basket and taking some open threes. And uh, some it's like real off-the-dribble stuff. Like, not to, like, romanticize iso ball and all that, but, th- like, that's the kind of ball he needs to play sometimes, like, with that kind of mentality anyway. His last three games, let's have some fun with so- small sample sizes here. He's averaging 13.7 points on 53% from the field, 58% from three, 100% from the line. So, I mean, he's Steph Curry. Yes. I mean, obviously. Yes, that's exactly correct. Did you, did you, did you question anything else? Yeah, but you know what's funny? Like, he's averaging 13 points over you know, the last three games, right? But to me, that feels like an overachievement of what I would even consider a success for him. Like I said all summer, um, if he were to just double his scoring output, which sounds like it's a small feat, but it's kind of, you know, it's a big deal, even though it's a 5- to 10-point jump is what I was asking for. If he just averaged 10 points with, like, a couple of rebounds, a couple of assists, and then his usual, like, steal on half, two steals. I thought that would have been a really successful year at the end of the year. I would have looked back and been like, yep, you know, he's scoring a little bit more. We're in double digits now. We're we're still seeing the defense, and I think that would have been no problem. And now he scores 13 points on average over the last three games, and and then we're all like, yeah, yeah, Frank's balling the fuck out. You know, it's, 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 it's funny to me how... It's like the bar is so low for him to be like a really impactful starter. Well, I think the reason why we're all like freaking out that Frank is balling out right now is because he's he's doing the things that we all have been saying that he should be doing in order to make him into that efficient scorer, that you know supplementary scorer who can at least hold his own on offense out there. You know, he's pulling up on the open threes he gets. He's recognizing when he's got a good opportunity there. You know, he, he's bringing himself to the line. He's cutting a little bit. He's at least trying to get in there on some plays. Like, he still has his moments where he looks kind of invisible out there, but he's just looked so much more engaged uh, offensively, and, and that's been the biggest thing because he there was just so many games to begin this season towards the end of last year where he just he just looked like he did like he was afraid someone was going to pass him the ball, and it, it's it's just been encouraging to see him start to. You know, who knows if he regresses to what his mean has been thus far, but his confidence, at least, is very encouraging moving forward. Him and Knox have the same issue. They both need mm-hmm. to learn how to get to the foul line. Because if they don't, that means you need to shoot, like, above 40% from three. And basically, you have to shoot unrealistically from two and three to get to the efficiency level you'd want them to get to it's exactly what we saw from Derek Rose his year in New York. He actually shot the ball well um, from mid range, but because he didn't make threes and he never got to the foul line, the it, the rest of the game didn't come around with the efficiency that you wanted. So Frank and Knox both need, and they both have the size and length to be able to do it. They need to learn how to get to the foul line to hit the ceiling of their careers. I'm very hopeful that Knox is going to. I just feel like just the way he he still attacks the rim. He just is unsure about how to draw the contact and unsure of how to you know finish correctly or even think about going left. But he still knows how to really aggressively go at the rim and then just kind of forgets what to do once he gets there. Frank, I feel like 
oftentimes when we've seen him kind of drift and fade in games, it's because he'll drive in, and then instead of being aggressive or trying to go up if he's got an angle, he'll sort of like peel it back out on the low block and then try to kick out. So Frank's the guy I'm actually concerned about with drawing you know, free throws, because that, that is a big thing for him. And it would really be a big advantage for him, because I think once he gets going offensively with what we think is going to be his offense that he reaches... Um, he's going to have a, he's kind of a walking mismatch for a lot of guards that have to defend him. So I think that's going to be, you know, key to learn how to bait guys and, and get them into foul trouble. But, um, Frank, I'm actually worried about Knox. I'm, I'm really not. I, I agree with how you broke down the difference between the two. Knox is definitely much closer to getting good at that than Frank is. Though, uh, my favorite Frank played and I wasn't even a shot that he made. It was when, his drive got kind of cut off. He realized he was bigger than Deladova, backed him down into a post-up on the block, read the defense, threw a cross-court pass out of the oh, post yeah. for the corner, yeah. threw Knox drained it. <laughs> it was, fucking, it either, was really pretty. That either one or the Knox sequence I brought up earlier were my favorite plays of the game. One of the other uh, little things I noticed as well was um... – Frank, there was one play in the late in the third, I believe, where uh, Frank got switched on to Larry Nance and held on to, like, just stayed in front of him down in the post and was able to pick off a uh, pass that was coming in their way. And it turned into a little bit of a scramble, but then that went up the other way. I don't remember if that led to the Knicks scoring or not, but just his versatility on defense is so, so encouraging. It's so incredible to watch him play out there just like, when he this, the times when he's on and he's looking engaged and a lot a lot of times he only looks confident on defense when his offense is going well, which is kind of something that he's going to have to learn to cope with as well. But you know, just when he's engaged defensively and able to, he can he can really defend a lot of positions out there on the court. And you know, him him being able to chip in those couple of points a game, it's like he needs to learn how to get to the line, like you guys are saying. He needs to you know pull up on those threes very easily and everything. But just just being able to be that kind of supplemental three and D guy, you know, a high, like a superb defense and, you know, quality, you know, quality offensive option out there too is it's just these last couple of games have looked so encouraging to what he could be moving forward. The, the other side on defense tonight, I actually thought he had a poor play that really stuck out to me. It was on the hood. What ended up being like the dagger shot in late in the fourth quarter he let Hood get back to his left hand. And in that situation, he can't let Hood spin to his left like that. He has to be more aware of who he's guarding and what that person is going to try and do. I think that's something he'll learn in time as he starts to learn the league better. But he has to leverage his length and size a little bit better in a situation like that and not let someone get to his spot. I'm serious question. Do you ever think that when we see young players timid defensively in those situations, especially in Frank's case, that they're afraid to foul. Because we know Frank's tendency to, to be a little handsy. So I wonder if that was a concern that late in the game, he didn't want to have the foul issues again. Watching the replay of that, when they showed the replay, I don't think it was a foul thing. I think his angle, he didn't, he should have been a little bit higher up on the shoulder. So he couldn't, so hood couldn't spin into it. Hmm. And I think he was a little bit too farther back, and he let Hood spin into his into his spot. I wish I was smarter, and I could say whether it was the right or left shoulder. He wasn't far enough above, so people could actually get a better visual of it. But I'm not. I'm too stupid to do that. Sorry. 
Frank thankfully only had one foul tonight, too, which, you know, compared to his last game, which got ended abruptly by his six fouls, um, that was good to see. It, it looked like he, he was a little hesitant on some defensive plays tonight, like you're saying, um, but at least he was able to stay out of foul trouble. It's just kind of learning to mitigate the two of those to, uh, you know, to figure out how to be effective. One of the other, uh, just while we're still on Frank here, I looked up, uh, I was reading up about when, you know, Knicks players' birthdays and everything the other day. And Frank Nielakina, believe it or not, is younger than Mitchell Robinson. He's like three months younger than Mitchell Robinson. And it's just, it's just the conversation and the discussion we were having around Frank Nielakina the last couple of weeks and, you know, all the trade rumors and everything like that. And for him to be younger than Mitchell Robinson, who has, you know, the leash of all leashes right now, it, it's it, it's just funny to me. It's just something I wanted to point out before we got off Frank. He really is younger, huh? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frank was born July twenty eighth, nineteen ninety eight, and Mitchell Robinson it was April first, nineteen ninety eight. So he would have he would have been one of the youngest players in the most recent draft class. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. It, it's just, it's so funny the perspective we have on these conversations sometimes. And he's, he's the second youngest guy on the team. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. But anyway. Um, all right. Do we have anything else we want to uh, discuss from tonight's game, or do we want to look at the schedule uh, moving forward? We got, what, Charlotte on Friday. I think that's another 7 p.m. start. Yep, playing the Hornets again on Friday. Uh, the 7 p.m. start threw me off today. I was, I was uh, definitely a half an hour behind. I really disapprove of these 7 p.m. starts. It's way harder for me to get home from work. You guys don't get the fucking complaints. Stop it. Dude. It's kind of it's kind of ideal. What? Are, all right. Really? Hey, why don't I? It's kind of ideal for me because I get a six o'clock game, and that's a nice start time for a game. But I, I just thought it was 6:30. No, wow. no, because because first of all, I'm already angry that Ant gets the extra hour. The extra hour is, just, is I think, the perfect cushion. I think I that's, have the same amount of hours as you it, do in it. It is you get the extra hour. Stop it. So he gets that little buffer to be able to stay up a little bit later and watch the West Coast games, and then he also gets to watch the East Coast games earlier. Meanwhile, we get these games. Buddy, the only thing I'm doing when I'm staying up late is editing this fucking podcast until three in the morning so start but fair stop it but but no (laughs) finishing up work fucking he could pull up league pass on his phone just watch whatever he wants it wouldn't that be so nice as you're leaving work and then the latest game for you is seven o'clock nice i drive home and i'm holding my phone in my hand watching the game as i drive yeah it's it's totally safe that's a good see that's a good problem to have The grass is always greener, I guess. Meanwhile, the West Coast games just started. You know, like they just, those games just started. And after this podcast, I have to go to sleep. Nothing was worse than being in college and having to wake up early to watch football on Saturday and Sundays. Now it's cool because I'm a little bit more. I adult a little bit more. Wow. And yeah, but imagine like you were in college and you had to wake up to watch football at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. No one's up. Well, I've been I've been trying to weasel my way into watching Premier League, and just the start times on those games are just, they just throw me way off. I, I, I have not been very successful this season. Anthony, I've been trying to, from? Yeah, yeah. What? Where, where are you from? I'm from Long Island. So where's your, how, why are you getting an extra hour then? What, where, oh, 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 where do I live now? I live in Chicago now. I like Chicago. I like Chicago too, man. 
I'd like to. I, I want. It's cold as fuck like, right now, though. But oh, it was like sixty. It was seventy degrees this afternoon. <laughs> fuck you. He wore a hoodie. It was a little chilly. You're a piece oh of shit. My God. You know that? Unbelievable. You're a piece of shit. It was a nice. It was a nice thirty-five degree day out today for me. So I walked. I, I, I from the gym. Three layers on today. The entire day. <laughs> and I, I had two layers on. Also, I mean seventy. I, Got the chills? Uh, yeah, you almost fainted from the cold. Might have yeah. to turn on the heat tonight. It might hit uh, like five. I, I, I will punch you in the teeth. I really will. I got, I got, I got my blanket out on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Several space heaters, not just one. <laughs> this man's, this man's going to bed with a duvet with no insert. <laughs> we're over here just freezing our asses off. Go to bed with nine blankets. Still cold. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fucking Kyle's huddled in between his two dogs. I was about to say your dogs keep you warm, don't they? Yeah, he's well, one of them. The other, the other guy is just uh, skin and bones. He, nestled in, you're uh, nestled in mellow like he's a tauntaun or something. No, that little mother. He's he goes all the way under the the fucking covers by the foot of the bed. And then he starts there, and then he works his way back up. So then I wake up, and his head's on my pillow, staring at me. It's very creepy. Does he think he's a person? It's not a thing that you should be doing. Did he? Does he drool on you? No, no. He just he lays the exact same way as me now every, every morning. Are you it's saying that, that dog doesn't drool at all? Oh, M- Mello drools. Mason doesn't. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh, yeah, no, it's not Mello. Mello. <laughs> if that was the case, then I would have to. He'd have to have his own mattress, but. I was about to say, the dog on the bed would be so much better if you were just leaving massive piles of drool everywhere. Well, for our entertainment, not really for you. No, no I have not had a, uh, a, a drool puddle issue yet. Which is the thing I'd ever say on this podcast. Yeah, well, <laughs> since we're on the topic of uh, drool puddles, do you guys have anything else, or are we closing this thing out? Uh, just... Same plugs as always. We've seen uh, you guys are actually listening when we say please rate and review and subscribe. So uh, please keep doing that. Um, oh, who won the uh, t-shirt contest? Do you have that? On yeah, the- I was trying to pull it up actually just now. Um, so the, t- the t-shirt contest closed for the uh, limited edition Mario Hizonia step over that uh, Anthony Kraft. It feels like three years ago. Yeah, it, it really does. This ba- basketball uh, basketball time is different. You know, it's almost like internet time. It's just. Um, you guys made shirts for that. It was it was good. People bought them. Did they really? People people said as soon as I memed it when I did the Iverson step over thing, and then everybody said print the shirts. And I, when when they said the people ask, people aren't asking you, you know, print the shirts. They're telling you print the shirts. So you print the goddamn shirts. You gotta move fast. Uh, you gotta move fast. Yeah. So uh, we did that, and uh, the person who won the at name is. Uh, a, I'm just gonna spell it out because I, it, it's at a n, m i t s u g o d. So Anmit Sugod, apparently. Uh, All right, I miss also you known guys. as Caramel King. That guy, he, he won the uh, the the limited edition step over hoodie. So, uh, congrats to him. Um, but. Just make sure you check out the store in general. We dropped a new French Prince design. Uh, oh, it was yeah, made by Ryan Gray. It's It really is spectacular. Uh, it's maybe my favorite thing in that store now. So make sure you give it a look. It was just on sale. If not, um, I think 
sailing out. This is the last week for you guys to get it in before Christmas, guaranteed. So make sure you do that. But um, outside of that, just, yeah, make sure you give us a nice five-star review on the pod. Uh, subscribe, obviously, and um, that's about it. Yep. Uh, say nice things about us. Yeah, say nice things. We always like to hear us. nice things. Yeah. You know, mean like about me, but be nice. You can say, I'll don't s- say mean things about Brian. He's new around here. You can say all the mean things you want about Kyle and I, but be nice to Brian. For sure. I'm going to get yelled at. I made fun of Clyde. It took me like less than an episode and a half. <laughs> so I was surprised. Let's gonna come out guns blazing the first night, but you didn't. You held. You held strong. I man, did. You just easing your way in like you're Frank, man. It's all good. All right, we done here. Let's get out of here. Everybody, have a good night. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Brian. We'll talk to you all next week. Take it easy, folks. 